If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Gospel series, The Parable of Jesus, the Parable of the Sower, found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 3 through 9, verse 18 to 23, Mark chapter 4, verse 3 to 20, Luke chapter 8, verse 4 to 15. The theme is the seed time and harvest, and the context is Jesus was teaching a large group of people by the lake. I like what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. The seed is the word of God. There is no harvest without a season of planting. Luke 8.11 This is the meaning of the parable, the seed is the word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. All words are seeds, but God's word stands in a class all by itself as incorruptible seed. In other words, God's word cannot fail, change, or be altered. Isaiah 55 verse 10 As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Matthew 24.35 Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Psalms 119.89 Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. 
Seeds contain life within itself. When planted, that life is released and grows and affects a change. The sowing is in the saying. We sow God's word when we speak God's word. According to Romans chapter 10 verse 17, it is sown through the preaching and teaching of God's word as we see in Acts 18 verse 24 to 28, chapter 11 verse 19 to 26. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let the word do the work. Jesus said his yoke would be easy and his burden light. However, without faith in God's word, that would be impossible. So often we rely on our own natural resources and efforts to get the job done. Natural skill and resources are limited, but all things are possible to them who believe. The Father wants His children to enter into rest by sowing His Word in our lives and allowing our faith to bring substance to the things we hope for. Hebrews 4 verse 1 Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Let's now look at two laws of Genesis that absolutely changes our lives. Law number one, everything produces after its own kind. Genesis 1 verse 11, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said to man, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. In John chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now there is a natural side as well as a spiritual side to this law that God set in motion in Genesis. The seed of every living thing is within itself to reproduce itself. Trees reproduce trees of the same species. A bird and a fish cannot reproduce together. If we want a harvest of wheat, what kind of seed would we sow? Wheat seed, of course. We can't take rice seed, plant them, and expect to receive a harvest of wheat. The Bible contains all the seed of God's promises and provision for our lives. So to meet a specific need, we need to find the specific seed that covers that need. If our body is in need of physical healing, finding healing scriptures and sow them into our hearts will get the result. That healing seed will grow in our heart and materialize in time a harvest of healing. If we need healing but plant peace seed instead, we'll receive lots of peace but no healing. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them 
you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The second law of Genesis is this, as long as the earth endures, there will be seed time and harvest. Before every harvest, there is always a season of planting. Again, this principle applies both in the natural and spiritual realms. Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures, as I have done, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. The spiritual law of sowing and reaping not only refers to speaking the word of God, but also to our own actions as well. Repetitive actions have a corresponding consequence, good or bad, over time. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Sometimes as Christians, we try to do through prayer what only the Word of God can do. It's the truth of God's Word acted upon that sets us free. John 8 verse 31 to 32 and John 17 17. There is so much more we could say about the preeminence of God's holy written word. Many, instead of saying, pray for me, should first say, teach me God's word so I can intelligently cooperate for my recovery. The seed of God's word is sown into the human heart whenever it is heard. As we have just read, the condition of a person's heart would determine if that seed will grow and produce a harvest. What I want us to appreciate is the fact that the seed has the power within itself to bring about its own fulfillment and produce after its own kind. As long as the conditions of faith are operating in a good and noble heart are present, God's grace will bring the increase and harvest in time. James 1.21 Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Why did Jesus speak to the people in parables? Matthew chapter 13 verse 10 to 17, Mark chapter 4 verse 10 to 13, and Luke chapter 8 verse 7 to 10. One might get the impression that God just wants to speak to people in riddles and leave them confused and frustrated. Nothing could be further from the truth. Oftentimes God speaks in code in order to hide its meaning from the cynical skeptics who are self-exalted and not interested in the truth anyways. Matthew 11.25 At this time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. In the same context as the parable of the sower, Jesus made this statement in Mark 4.23, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Speaking of having a receptive and open heart to hear from God. Luke chapter 19 verse 41. A closed heart to the things of God is incapable of understanding spiritual truths. Jesus provided a similar admonition 
to the early church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Understanding that the Bible is a progressive revelation of truth that is being unveiled to humanity over time. We see that in Mark chapter 7, verse 18, John 13, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9 to 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 to 18, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. The Old Covenant was full of types and shadows pointing to the realities found in Christ under the New Covenant, Colossians 2, verse 7, Hebrews 8, 5, in chapter 10, verse 1, Luke 24, verse 13 to 35, and John 16, 12. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it states, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. For additional reading, please look into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 29, and chapter 2, verse 6 through 16. God has hidden revelation truth from the so-called wise and revealed it to us. That is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit for us today. He's the revealer of truth, according to John 16, verse 13 to 15. It is by the Holy Spirit and through our human spirit that we understand revelation truth. Psalms 119, verse 130, and Proverbs 20, verse 27. The passage of Scripture in Matthew 7, 6, where Jesus said, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This passage reveals some insight into the understanding why Jesus spoke in parables to the people. Revelation truth is more precious than any earthly treasure because it has eternal implications. Revelation truth comes to those who hunger and seek after it, according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. The Apostle Paul admonished the church to ask God for a spirit of revelation in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 23. Jesus talked about the key to knowledge in Luke eleven fifty two. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, Luke chapter 1, verse 77, and John chapter 8, verse 32. Conditions of the heart, found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18 to 23, Mark chapter 4, verse 13 to 20, and Luke chapter 8, verse 11 to 15. Before we examine the different types of soil, we must first identify what the soil represents. We already illustrated that the seed represents the word of God. So the soil speaks of the human heart, the spirit of a person. Romans chapter 10, verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. In Mark 11, verse 22 to 23, Jesus said, Does not doubt in his heart, but believes. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 refers to what we call the trichotomy of a person. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. We are spirit beings with a soul, and we live in these physical bodies called the temple. The spirit person is the real us. The kingdom of God is within us. It is in our spirit. That's where faith, hope, and love operate. Luke chapter 17 verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, 
The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Jesus referred to the spirit of a person as the seat of God's indwelling Holy Spirit, from whom the life and power of God would resonate throughout our entire being, transforming our lives and quickening our mortal bodies. Romans 8 verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 17 and 18, also referred to as living water in John chapter 4 verse 10 to 13, in John chapter 7 verse 37 to 39. So the condition of our heart is a type of soil that Jesus is talking about in this parable. We are responsible for the kind of heart, motive, and attitude we have, not God. God has given us a free will to choose life and death, blessing or cursing, according to Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. There is nothing wrong with the seed of God's word. It is incorruptible, perfect, and eternal. The variable in this equation is the condition of our heart that the seed comes in contact with. God does not show favoritism or partiality. The word works for all who receive it by faith. Romans 2 verse 11, Ephesians 6 verse 9, and Colossians 3 verse 25. The Seed Along the Path Agriculture during Jesus' time was obviously a manual job on foot. The path Jesus was talking about are the rows in the field that the farmer would walk on when he sowed his seed. It would become hard due to foot traffic, so when the seed accidentally scattered on these areas, it could not penetrate the ground due to the hardness of the soil. As a result, the birds would spot the exposed seed and eat them. So the first type of soil Jesus had mentioned was the hard ground. Remember, the goal here is to have a harvest of multiplication of the seed of God's word. The context here is the gospel seed, hearing the message of salvation. We have been saying that sowing is in the saying. When we speak God's word, we are sowing God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing continually by the word of God, according to Romans 10.17. Matthew 13 verse 19. Jesus said, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Mark chapter 4 verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And in Luke chapter 8 verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. I love the synoptic passages in this parable. Each author provides a slightly different glimpse of what Jesus was teaching us. Matthew's account points out that after hearing the message about the kingdom, they do not understand. Now, why is that? Well, we have just read in the previous verses, in verse 10 through 16, about the people having a calloused heart. So, what causes a heart to become hard to the things of God that we become blind and deaf? In Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, we see a lesson from the generation of the Israelites who failed to enter into their promised land. The cause was a sinful, unbelieving heart. The deceitfulness of sin is that it hardens the heart and sears the conscience. 
1 Timothy 4.2. This results in a lack of sensitivity, openness, or desire for God. Mark 6 verse 52. The practice of sin will cause an indifference and even a disdain for the things of God. The cure for such a condition is godly repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 8 through 11 and Revelation chapter 2 verse 5 and chapter 3 verse 3. So let's now read from Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Apparently, the work of Satan is all about hardening people's hearts through the practice of sin in the world system in order to keep them from being saved. The new birth is the result of believing God's word in our hearts. That is a process of sowing, watering, cultivating, and harvesting to achieve results. And this takes time. Folks, mentally acquiescing to a historical Jesus is a form of godliness without the power. It's a counterfeit form of faith. That is dead religion. 2 Timothy 3 verse 5. Jesus called us to make disciples, not converts. Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20. Mental assent is when people have God's word in their head, having heard it a few times, but it's not in their heart, and they try to pass it off as Bible faith. Nothing happens and does not work. We are instructed to meditate, speak God's word continually out of our mouths until it gets into our heart where it begins to work. This process may take months of studying and speaking the word of promise. Read Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 and 9, Psalms chapter 1 verse 1 through 3, in chapter 119 verse 11, and Romans chapter 10 verse 5 through 10. The answer comes when we believe God's word in our heart, not in our head. Seed sown on rocky places. In the first scenario, Jesus talked about the hardness of heart. Now he addresses those folks who receive the word at once with joy, but their commitment to the word and his kingdom is shallow. Here Jesus is talking about the feel-good, fair-weather folks who are only in it for themselves. With the prospect of a better life, sunny days, and good times, there is no resolve to remain faithful and to endure or persevere persecution and suffering for the name of Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, we are admonished to endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That requires commitment and sacrifice on our part. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, and Revelation 3, verse 10. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 20, Jesus said, The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once received it with joy. But since he is no root, he lasts only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Mark 4, verse 16. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a little while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Being a Christian does not mean it will be easy. Life's challenges come to every person. The difference for us is that Jesus is our good shepherd to see us through them all. Psalms chapter 23, chapter 34, verse 19, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 17 to 18, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, 
in verse 12 to 19. Another point to be seen in the shallow follower is their lack of commitment to put the word of God first place in their lives. Jesus requires total commitment of his disciples. Salvation is not just a fire insurance policy that keeps us out of hell. It is the total surrender and abandonment to the Lord. When we confess Jesus as our Lord, that means we are making him Lord of our lives. Yet he is not going to make us serve him faithfully. That's our choice and our response to his love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus makes some amazing statements to the extent we are to sell out and follow him alone in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke chapter 9 verse 62. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 3 verse 15. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow, we are to follow Jesus all the way with no regret, no remorse, and no turning back. The world would look at this as cultic in nature, not when the one who we serve gave his all and died for us first. To serve Jesus with our whole life is the reasonable or logical thing to do. Romans chapter 12 verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, and 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. No doubt, Satan will use persecution to try to intimidate and pressure us to quit and fall away from the Lord. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, Luke chapter 21, verse 16 to 19, and chapter 22, verse 31. Now realize, persecution is only temporary. The key is to persevere and to endure, knowing these things will make us stronger in our faith and character if we overcome them through faith in God's word. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4, and Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 5. Please note, a person can have 10 miles of trials and not grow an inch unless he or she stands on God's word. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 18, James 4, 7, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. There are many Christians who have fallen away and have become a victim instead of a victor. Trials, tests, and temptations have no virtue in themselves to mature us. They are sent by Satan to destroy us, according to John chapter 10, verse 10. Is what we do in the midst of the attack that makes all the difference. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus warned that the casual, half-hearted individual who tries God out will in the end lose even the little bit of understanding they have of him. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. Let's not play with this. Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Jesus put a premium 
on hearing and then putting into practice the truth of God's word. Matthew chapter 7 verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Luke chapter 8.21. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Knowledge is important, but wisdom is even better, which is the application of knowledge. With wisdom comes a personal understanding of the truth of God's word in our lives. So let's purpose to put the word of God into practice when we hear it as simple obedience. Philippians 4 verse 9, James chapter 1 verse 22 to 25, and chapter 2 verse 14 to 26. Seed sown among thorns, Matthew 13, 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Mark 4.18 Still others, like seed among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Luke 8.14 The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. As Jesus so eloquently put it, the problem with weeds is that they choke what is good in our lives. Weeds are the result of the fall, according to Genesis 3.18. They are worthless in value and cause painful toil to remove them in order to grow anything good. Jesus further explained what weeds represent in the next parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30. Like yeast, weeds are a type of sin, either individuals or behavior or weights in our lives. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Weeds are people or things in our lives that hinder and trip us up in running our race. Satan is continually seeking to plant weeds in our lives. Our job is to routinely pull them up out of our lives, otherwise they will inevitably choke the life of God out of us. 1 Corinthians 9.27, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 to 18, and 1 Corinthians 15.33, which states, Do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. First we see that Jesus talked about the worries of this life. This world is full of distractions, all competing for our attention. The world system under Satan's control is all about getting our eyes off of Jesus. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17, chapter 5 verse 19, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. The weed of fear comes in the form of anxiety and worry that seeks to rob us of a blessing. Fear is the enemy of faith and comes from listening to the words of the enemy, which chokes us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 in the Amplified states, Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. The word care here in the Vines Expository Dictionary means to draw in different directions, to distract, to get our attention off of Jesus and the Word. Matthew 14 verse 28 to 31, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 and chapter 12 verse 2. Jesus talked at length about not worrying about our lives in Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 to 34. When we give in to worry, We are saying to our Father God, 
Father, I'm sorry, but I just don't think you're competent to handle this one. I'd be better off taking care of it myself. Resist worry like you resist any other temptation. Psalms 37 verse 35, Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3, and Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Next, we see the deceitfulness of wealth. In our Western culture, with all our affluence and material possessions, comes a great temptation. It's called idolatry. What is an idol, you may ask? It's anything that draws our devotion, time, and desire away from God. We might not bow down to a graven image of wood or stone, but many have bowed down to their career, their education, money, drugs, sex, and a numerous of other material things in this world. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Greed is a powerful influence in the world, lusting for what we think will make us happy. God has no problem with his children being wealthy and having things, just he does not want us to be covetous or materialistic about it. 1 Timothy 6.17 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Those who are eager for money pierce themselves with many griefs. According to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, the Bible talks about being content with what we have. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12, Now that does not mean that we are to be content with living below God's provision of plenty, prosperity, and health. He wants us to be blessed in order to be a blessing. Acts 20 verse 35 and 3 John verse 2. It takes money to fund the kingdom of God on this earth. The question is, will we be faithful to what the Lord entrusts to us? Matthew 24 verse 45 to 51 and chapter 25 verse 14 to 30. So our Father wants us to have a full supply and all of our needs met. He just does not want us to be greedy and selfish about it. James chapter 4 verse 1 through 4. When things of this life become an idol between us and God, we need to root it out. Psalms chapter 35 verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad, who favor my righteous cause, and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. The problem with greed, envy, and covetousness is that it declares that God is not enough for us, that we need something more to make us happy and fulfilled. That is a great insult to our Heavenly Father. Acts 17.28 For in Him we live and move and have our being. Psalm 16.11 You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now it was greed that ruined Judas's life. One of the original twelve disciples of Jesus in John chapter 12 verse 6 ultimately led up to him betraying Jesus for money. Luke 22 verse 1 through 6 and Matthew chapter 27 verse 3 through 9. The things of this life are so temporary. As Solomon put it, it's vanity. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 through 4. Serving and obeying God, winning the lost, and loving others in Jesus' name lasts forever. Finally, in talking about the weeds, Jesus talked about the desires for other things. 
in Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which is to Come, is a Christian allegory written by John Bunyan and published in February 1678. It is regarded as one of the most significant works of religious English literature and has been translated into more than 200 languages and has never been out of print. The book depicts the life of a sinner seeking salvation, after which facing the world along with a myriad of trials, tests, and temptations. The book has great application for Christians today. In chapter 6 of the book, there was a town called Vanity, and in the town was a fair that just kept on going all year round, called Vanity Fair. It was a place of constant partying, reveling, and self-indulgence. There was no thought of tomorrow. It was all about gratifying selfish desires for today. 1 Corinthians 15.32 Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Sure, we are in this world, but we are not to be taken up with its viewpoint of life. The Bible calls us aliens and strangers in this world. According to 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11, our citizenship is in heaven and we are ambassadors here for Christ Jesus. Philippians 3:20 and 2 Corinthians 5:20. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 30 it states, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 in the amplified Do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, cravings for sensual gratification, and the lust of the eyes, greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life, assurance in one's own resources, or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father, but are from the world itself. And the world passes away and disappears, and with it the forbidden cravings, the passionate desires, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God and carries out his purposes in his life abides and remains forever. Now don't get me wrong, the Lord will give us things out of this world to enjoy that are godly. The key is to keep it from preoccupying our time, attention, and priorities away from God. Good things can become bad when abused overused and taken to the extreme. A good rule of thumb is this, what we think about the most is what is most important to us. We must keep Jesus first place in our lives. So what is taking up most of our time? The good soil, Matthew 13:23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Mark 4:20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a 100 times what was sown. Luke 8.15 But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. All four examples of human hearts begin the same way. They hear the word of God, What happens with the seed next is the result of the kind or condition of the heart that the seed is sown into. Remember, there's nothing wrong with the seed. God's word is perfect, according to Psalms 19 verse 7. The issue is with the quality of the soil and cultivation that affects the outcome of the harvest. Let's look at what Jesus said constituted good ground so that we can get our hearts ready. Concerning the good soil, in Mark's account, it says, accepts it. In Matthew, 
the soil is represented by understands it. And finally, Luke, a noble and good heart retains it and by persevering produces a crop. I want you to notice that three out of four of the types of soil, that 75% received nothing. Yes, there are reasons why people don't receive from God, get saved, healed, prosper, or whatever it is that they're believing God for, but it's never God's fault or will for people to fail to reap a harvest from the seed of God's word when it's planted by faith. Romans chapter 3 verse 3. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. The first condition of the good soil is that it accepts the word of God. Before the seed even has a chance to grow, we must first accept, agree, and embrace what the Bible is saying. For example, Jesus was explaining that he is the bread of life and that his body and blood would be offered as the supreme sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. Yet Jesus was speaking figuratively about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. Jesus was not talking about cannibalism in John chapter 6 verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was going? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. There are a lot of hard sayings in the Bible. I'm talking about those passages of Scripture that we know what is being said. It just appears to us as being hard to obey. Jesus talked about the strict requirements of the marriage covenant in Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 to 12. If we want God's blessing, we must be willing and obedient. Isaiah 119 and Hebrews 13, verse 4. Now, suppose we were having trouble getting along with a certain individual who has hurt and offended us. The Bible is very clear about the subject of forgiveness in Matthew 6, verse 14 to 15, chapter 18, verse 21 to 35, and Mark eleven twenty-five. Before the seed of forgiveness for others can produce a harvest of grace to forgive, we must first be willing to accept and obey it. If we are close to the idea of doing what the Bible explicitly says, that is a problem. When we are born again, our spirit becomes a new creation, not our mind or our body. The key is to reprogram our minds from worldly thinking to God's way of thinking. The Bible is our primary source to accomplish this. Proverbs 23.7 in the King James Version, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Since behavior is driven by our thinking, we must first change how we think and speak. Ephesians 4.17 to chapter 5 verse 15 and James chapter 3 verse 2 through 12. Now it may take some time of hearing the word over and over again until we finally accept it in our heart. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So I believe to accept God's word means to have read and studied the word until our minds are completely renewed, open and in agreement with it. This is a prerequisite before God's word can move from our head to our heart. Now the second point about the good soil is that it understands God's word, meaning to believe God's word in our heart, having a revelation of it in our spirit, a supernatural knowing that it is real in our life. Remember how we talked about not mentally acquiescing to the truth? Only having a head knowledge of what the Bible says, void of having faith in our heart. The key to understand here is that the seed of God's word works out of our spirit, 
which is the ground, not out of our head. Matthew 18.35 Forgive your brother from your heart. Romans 10.9 Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Word of Faith principles in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 11 to 14 and Romans chapter 10 verse 5 to 10 speaks of meditating or speaking the word of God's seed until it gets planted in our heart. Meditation is found in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 and Psalms chapter 1 verse 1 through 3. Initially, confession of God's word renews our mind and causes faith to come, according to Romans 10:17. Over the course of time, it will drop down into our spirit. That is when the seed gets planted. Remember our example of forgiveness? Faith works by love, Galatians 5.6, but walking in love towards others also works by faith, as small as a mustard seed. That's how it begins, Luke chapter 17, verse 1 through 6. Until the seed gets in our heart through the continual confession of God's word, nothing happens. It may take a very long time until we finally believe God's word in our heart. Folks often give up prematurely. Abraham is a good example. His name literally means father of many nations, as mentioned in Romans 4 verse 17. In his case, it took 25 years from the time of receiving the promise until the time Isaac was born. So how do we know that we have faith in our heart as he did? Well, Romans 4.21 explains it. He became fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. To understand God's word is to become fully persuaded and believe that we receive what we've asked for in prayer before we have it. Mark chapter 11, verse 22 to 23. Now, the third condition of good soil, according to the parable of the sower, is a noble and good heart. Let's consider what Jesus meant by a noble and good heart that produces a harvest in Luke chapter 8, verse 15. The Greek word for noble could also be translated as honest. The same word is used in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 as good deeds. It speaks of an honorable or noble individual whose life is exemplified with godly living and behavior that would solicit honor and esteem from others, not in a prideful way. James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Now this speaks of both inward nature and outward behavior reflecting the grace of God within us. The doctrine of sanctification is what we're really talking about here, the key to fruitfulness. Sanctification in the Greek means to make holy, purify, consecrate, or set apart. To sanctify something is to set it apart as something holy, like placing an urn of your mother's remains on a fireplace mantle, in a special place, set apart from other common things. Sanctification denotes a cleansing from unclean things, both inside and out. In scripture, we see two forms of sanctification. The first one is instantaneous sanctification that we see in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10. Before we can change what we are in our outward behavior, we must first change from within. We change the root in order to change the fruit. That would be the spirit of a person. Before Christ, we had the spiritual nature of Satan, a sinful nature. 1 John chapter 3 verse 7 through 10. The new birth is the rebirth of the human spirit, according to John 3 3. And it causes us to become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Or in the Greek, it means a new species, something that never existed before. I love how it's stated in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The eradication of the sinful spiritual nature that we once had. Romans 15, verse 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, Colossians 2.11. 
Instantaneous sanctification is a large subject, but the point I want to make out is that our spirit has been made productive again with the life and nature of God in it. Romans 5 5, called eternal life, or Zoe. Romans 6 verse 23, and 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. Now, the second form of sanctification is called progressive in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14. The goal here is to take God's nature of love in our spirit and cause it to dominate, rule, and take the ascendancy on our outside life, where this translates into Christ-like behavior. Here are a few scriptures that cover the subject. Romans chapter 6, chapter 8 verse 13, chapter 12 verse 1 and 2, chapter 13 verse 12 to 14, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 through chapter 5 verse 15, and 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. So finding sanctification scripture seeds like these and meditating on them by speaking them out of our mouth continually, Joshua 1.8, will release the life and the power of God, God's grace, through faith, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, to be holy, noble, honorable, and have a good heart for the seed to grow. Faith works by love. That's a prerequisite, Galatians 5.6. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman and requires our cooperation for him to take the word of God and renew our minds and clear our hearts of conditions that would nullify the seed of God's word from working in our lives. This is referred to as progressive sanctification, where the Holy Spirit works in us throughout our entire lives to conform us into the image of Jesus from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 and 18, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13, and 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. Now this is really important. Folks are asking God to change their heart, but the new birth has already done that. Now it's up to us to mix our faith in God's word to change us from the inside out. Hebrews 4, verse 1 through 3. When it comes to sins of the heart, like pride, jealousy, and envy, it's not so easily seen. But sins of the flesh, sexual morality, drunkenness, laziness, is not so hidden from sight. These things must be dealt with to receive from God. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 through 12. Let's read now in James 1.21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Romans 12.2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So through the new birth, in our spirit nature, 
we have been already made perfect, righteous, holy, justified, and sanctified. Since we've already been made righteous and perfect in Christ, we can't improve on that to go to heaven. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, chapter 6 verse 11, and 2 Corinthians 5.21. Not to be confused with maturing in Christ, which is a work in progress under a lifetime of construction. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, chapter 2 verse 12 to 13, Ephesians 2.10, 2 Timothy 2.13, and Jude verse 24. We are not saved by good works. We are saved unto good works by God's grace and through our faith. So training in godliness, according to 1 Timothy 4.8, is a must if we're going to be fruitful for God. John 15.7, Jesus said, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now the next ingredient to good soil is that it retains the word of God. To retain the seed of God's word portrays tremendous imagery of fastening a death grip upon the word of God. Nothing in this world is going to shake us from believing on the word of God in Jesus' name. Psalms 119 verse 31, 1 Corinthians 15 2, Hebrews 3 6, chapter 4 verse 14, chapter 10 verse 23, Revelation 2 13, verse 25, and chapter 3 verse 11. The Greek word for retains means to hold down and hold fast, to possess, seize, and to take. Satan is a thief, and he will use trials, tests, and temptations to try to dislodge the word of God out of our lives. John 10.10, 10, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, 2 John verse 7, and Revelation 2.10. The enemy fears the awesome potential of God's word in our lives. Even well-meaning people will try to talk us out of believing God. Luke 22.31 in the Amplified, Simon, Simon, listen, Peter has asked excessively that all of you be given up to him out of the power and keeping of God that he might sift all of you like grain. Job chapter 1 verse 6 through 12 and Amos 9.9. Finally, we see the good soil by preserving and producing a crop. One of the greatest areas of exposure or weakness that we have to contend with is giving up too soon. In our Western mindset, we want things instantly. Give it to me now. James chapter 5 verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. As Jesus pointed out in this parable, the things of God come through seed time and harvest. The seasons of sowing and reaping require some time. We must hold fast to our confession of faith while the seed is growing. We must watch our words. Just as we sow seed with our words, we can also dig that seed up with our words by speaking contrary to the word of promise and thus forfeit our harvest. The key to faith confessions is holding fast to saying the same thing. Hebrews 4.14 Hebrews 10.23 in the Amplified So let us seize and hold fast and retain without wavering the hope we cherish and confess in our acknowledgement of it. He who promised is reliable, sure, and faithful to his word. Patience, perseverance, and endurance build character in us so we can learn to hold the course. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 through 5, James chapter 1 verse 3 through 4, 2 Peter 1 6. 
As we grow in the word and spiritually mature, we will learn to stay steady. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. We need to tap into the fruit of our recreated spirit in Galatians 5.22 and take hold of the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10, Psalms 126, verse 2, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, John 17, verse 13, and Romans chapter 15, verse 32. Joy is also given to the believer by the Holy Spirit to strengthen and refresh us, as we see in Acts 13.52, Romans 14.17, chapter 15, verse 13, Ephesians 5.18, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. We must learn to keep our eyes on the goal that is set before us. It's worth it. Don't quit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And in Galatians 6, 9, it states, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Hebrews 6, verse 11. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. As we come to the conclusion of this parable, let's look at the production of the crop, 30, 60, and 100-fold return. It's interesting that the yield is not always the same, but will be different from case to case. As we have been saying, the condition of the heart determines the type of soil that the seed is planted in, which translates in the amount of the harvest that is yielded, but there's also other factors in determining the harvest as well. So here is a provocative question. Why do some people don't have a harvest? Well, let's first rule out the obvious. We have to sow before we can reap. No sowing, no harvest. Our lack of sowing of God's word often finds its roots in a lack of faith. Mark chapter 9, verse 21 to 24, Genesis 8:22, Luke 6:38, and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. It's a mistake for us to separate spiritual things from natural things, thinking that they have nothing in common. In reality, God patterned the natural world after the spiritual realm by design, so we would make the connection and connect the dots. Another reason, as I mentioned already, people get tired of waiting and give up. Folks have certain expectations and timelines on when they should reap a harvest, sooner rather than later, of course. Second Corinthians 19.3, they told him, This is what Hezekiah says. This is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It's sad when people have sowed for a long period of time and worked for God, so when harvest time finally comes to reap the fruit of their labors, they have given up already. Many thinking that reaping is automatic, that the harvest just magically falls into their lap. Reaping the harvest is no more automatic than sowing the seed is. We are responsible for the sowing and the reaping. The parable of the growing seed is talking about the spiritual counterpart to the natural process of seed growing in the soil. So in this parable, who sowed the seed? The man did. Who caused the seed to grow and develop? The soil, or God does. Who reaped the harvest? God or man? The man did. You can read that in Mark chapter 4 verse 29. Here is another provocative question. Can Christians sleep through their harvest? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. In Proverbs 10, 5, it states, He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Once we get the seed in the ground, then the growth is automatic. But when the harvest is ready, does the crop just jump from the field into the barn automatically? No. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 8. We have to take responsibility for reaping the harvest. Yes, putting in the sickle is work. Reaping is not automatic and it requires faith on our part to bring the harvest of blessing in. Sadly, many are waiting on God when God is waiting on us. That is why many have not been receiving God's provision for their lives because they don't realize that they are the ones responsible for going out there into the field of opportunity and provision in order to gather it up and reap it all into their life. We must learn to discern our harvest where and when and be led by the Holy Spirit. This is referred to the rules of reaping. We must take hold of the promises of God through faith's confession. 1 Timothy 6.12 Are we as good in the reaping arena as we are in the sowing area? It takes faith to do both. Like the children of Israel, we must press in and take hold of our promised land. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 through 3. Thank God for the angels that are working on our behalf, bringing the money in. Psalms chapter 103 verse 20. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Finally, let's talk about why some people have small harvests. The obvious reason is that they were timid or lazy about the amount of seed they had sown in that area. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's really quite simple. Little measure, little harvest. Big measure, big harvest. Another reason is the kind of soil the seed was sown into, ourselves or others. Wrong motives or not walking in love will forfeit the blessing of God that we see in James chapter 4 verse 1 through 5, or allowing the thief, Satan, to come in and rob from us, John 10.10. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life study series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.